0: Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code HARDTHINGS for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby.
1: It's Match. That's
0: right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. We're here. We are here. Welcome. We're here. We can do hard things. I don't think we've ever had episode that was based on a love story. Mm. And this is a love story today. This is a love story about a woman and her husband, about a woman and her daughters, about Uh a woman and life. Uh And as Bose knows, because I read The Urgent Life for the first time months ago and just texted her immediately and said, holy shit. I learned so much and I couldn't wait to have Bose on the pod to talk to our pod squad because I feel like what we try to talk about constantly is just how to love and live deep. Mm -hmm. How do we just suck the marrow out of life? And this is what Bose shows us. We hear all the time that like the harder and deeper and truer, you stay close to truth. We're scared of that because it hurts so bad, but that is what it takes in order to experience the highs of life. And Bose does both. Yeah. Why don't you introduce Bose, Abby?
1: Bozema St. John is a Hall of Fame inducted marketing executive, author, entrepreneur, and in our opinion, just a general badass. Bozeman's brilliant career has included roles <laughs> like global CMO of Netflix, CMO of Endeavor, CBO of Uber, head of marketing of Apple Music and iTunes, and head of music and entertainment marketing at PepsiCo, crowned as the world's most influential CMO by Forbes. By far, her greatest achievement is raising her 13-year-old daughter, Lael. Her highly anticipated memoir, The Urgent Life, is available now. Your life is one big love story and partly about you and Peter. Mm. I loved your book. And this part Mm -hmm. made me giggle so loud. You first (laughs) met Peter at work. Okay. Yes. And you Mm -hmm. were hungry and he was a bit of a smart ass. And eventually he asked you out and you said, if you read my favorite book, I'll go out with you. Yeah. Tell us about your first meeting, your first date, and the first real gift he gave you.
2: Ooh, yes. Okay. Can I also just say that it was really hard to write this book? Mm. Oh. Uh, can I say that? Yeah. It was really, really hard. Because, And I love the fact that you said that some of it made you giggle. Because that's, that's really what life is, you mm-hmm. know? There's like the hard parts and the loss and the trauma, but there's also the giggles. <laughs> Even today, as I sit here and I, you know... Every once in a while, sporadically, I'll think of him, or something will remind me, or Lael will say something, and it'll make me giggle.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, so
2: it's not everything that is like deep and dark and heavy. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, meeting him was one of those. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Like the fact that I married this man is like, somebody, I should be somebody should question me. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? I, there should be some real questions about my uh opinions and my way of evaluating people. Okay. <laughs> because when I saw him, he just looked utterly, I mean, ridiculous is the right word. First of all, I was working for Spike Lee Mm -hmm. at a company that was his agency inside of an agency. One of those big old agencies, actually, remember the show Mad Men? Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, oh yeah. Mad Men was based on DDB. So imagine that Spike has this little like group of people inside of a company like that. Okay, okay. It's all black people on there, you know what I'm saying? Inside of this very white place. (laughs) So the only time we interacted with the other white people was when we went to the cafeteria or to the mail room or some other place where there were other people. Otherwise, we were on an island by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I went down to the cafeteria to get my breakfast, which was a very standard thing that I did. (laughs) Okay, I ordered the same thing. I'm a creature of habit, right? What was it? Look, darkly toasted cinnamon, raisin bagel, uh, two fried eggs, over hard, very hard, not running at all. And two pieces of crispy bacon. Crispy no Bacon. Cheese. I love that That's part. correct. Don't forget the butter. Okay. Yeah. So that is my order. And this man was standing in line, like a few people behind me, tall white guy, like six, five, reddish blonde hair, um, wearing a button-down shirt that was open, like a few buttons down, <laughs> and had this heavy gold chain i mean it was it, he just looked ridiculous <laughs> and he was basically like yelling ahead of people to me that i should hurry up Oh no. with my order yeah that's what had happened and i had the same attitude then i have right now you know what i mean so <laughs> i literally turned around like who the fuck is talking to me yes. like that that was like my attitude mm-hmm. and uh when he eventually you know like simmered down because he realized he really couldn't mess with me he tried to come and like sweet talk and you know, he was like well you look like a queen but does it mean that you're royal I was like what, what kind of line you know what I mean like, it was, the whole thing was ridiculous like it's that's not the beginning of a love story you know that's not the right. way it should start mm-hmm. but it's the way ours started mm-hmm. and so yeah when he when he realized how fine I was you know what I'm saying <laughs> yes and he wanted to go out I absolutely was not letting him get an easy mm-hmm. yes. Like that was it. first of all, I wasn't planning to say yes at all. You know, so my suggestion that like if he wanted to get to know me, he should read my favorite book, which is Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Heavy book, right? <laughs> That's like, yo, if you want to read about the African American experience, and you've got to like rise up to the level. Toni Morrison is who you read. She mm-hmm. doesn't dumb down anything. And so I thought, well, that'll get rid of him because he's never going to read that. Mm. Yeah? But no, about a week later, here he comes to Spike's floor. <laughs> all the black people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and here he comes, big white man. And the receptionist is like, oh, there's a white guy here to see you. And I'm like, oh, you see who? Not me. I don't know any white people. Like, I don't <laughs> What do you mean? I didn't invite any white people here. I have no idea that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> I go out to like the reception area and sure enough, it's that man he's standing there. And he's like, I read the book. Let's go out. And I was like, there is no way. There's absolutely no way you read the book in like a week. Like, there's no way. So I decided to call his bluff and said, all right, let's go. Let's go to dinner. And the thing is, see, what I knew that he didn't know at the time was that I was an African-American studies major at Wesleyan University. I'd read everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the enormous black talent, you know, the James Baldwin, Nicky Giovanni. The Zora Neale Hurston, like everybody, and I wrote papers on it. I I knew it deeply, and so I was like, "Yeah, let's go out. I, I'm going to embarrass the hell out of you." That's what I was thinking in my head. <laughs> but we got to dinner, and he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he had read the book. That was probably the first shock, you know, that this man who like just didn't look the part, you know, and maybe that's was part of the lesson. He just didn't look like. What I assumed he was, mm. and he just showed up in a different way. And so, by the time we were done with dinner, I like to say, and I, I mean, I will say that by the end of the dinner, I was in love. Mm-hmm. Oh. Imagine that, like one eighty. You know what I'm saying? From like sitting there looking like I'm gonna finish this appetizer, and then I'm gonna sop him up with the rest <laughs> of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy him. <laughs> and then by the end, I'm like, oh my god, I think I love him. You know, what I mean? like i like, oh my god. So we were inseparable, inseparable. Mm -hmm. That was the end of November in 2000. Yeah, in 2000.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And um, my birthday's in January. Mm -hmm. And we were just inseparable. We were deeply in love. Uh, It only took us a couple months to get there. (laughs) Um, And as a present, you know, I was like, I really love my birthday. And I was hoping for some jewelry or, you know, something shiny. Mm You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And... Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we get to his apartment and there's no tiny box. There's nothing that looks like it could have jewelry in it. There's only like something draped in the corner, you know, with all over with a sheet. And I'm looking at it like <laughs> it's not even like wrapping paper. You know what I mean? It's literally <laughs> like a sheet. And. Again, I'm thinking, like, oh man, like, you know, I love this person, so I'm gonna give him some grace, but damn, I'm gonna have to teach him how to, yeah. <laughs> how to gift me. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right through my head. And isn't that so interesting, though, that how much we wanna teach other people how to love us? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just would like person love you. You oh, know what God, I mean? God, I do. But in any case, I got maybe one of the best gifts I've ever received in my life, mm-hmm. you know, under that wrinkled blanket. That was thrown over something because when I took it off, it was Peter's painting, an interpretation of the Song of Solomon. The man had never picked up a paintbrush before in his life, and he painted mm. what his interpretation was. And it, it is um it is one of the most thoughtful, beautiful gifts I've ever received. And uh, it currently is hanging up in Lael's bedroom. Oh, so oh. <laughs>
0: So that's the kind of love we're dealing with here, people. So Mm -hmm. you and Peter fall in love, a black woman and a white man, Mm -hmm. and a white man who wears big, long gold chains. (laughs) Yes. And as you begin to share your relationship with the world, things get tricky. Mm
3: -hmm. You
0: said Mm -hmm. it felt sometimes like there is no peace to be found anywhere for Mm -hmm. you, too. So talk to us yeah. about what you mean by that, like how our culture reacts and responds to mm-hmm. a black woman and a white man in love.
2: Yeah, because we were in New York City, you would think maybe you, yeah, you would assume that it should have been peaceful, mm-hmm. right? It's a multicultural city, cosmopolitan, lots of people living together, right? Mm-hmm. All over the city. Like there's not, it's not like you could just be by yourself in one area. You know, maybe there's certain parts of the city, but. For the most part, you got people everywhere. And it's like, we're living in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. So it should be everybody kumbaya. Uh, but that's not what it was. I found out very quickly that love doesn't mask everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, so you're in a cocoon to some degree, but you have to live in love outside mm-hmm. also. And you don't mm-hmm. just love inside. And <laughs> the outside is what then started to crack us you know even in those early days because we were confronted with other people's opinions and look we can sit here now and say like oh but who cares like who cares what they think and look at it all of us have been in that position every single one of us you love somebody you enter a situation where you know you're probably not welcome and maybe you start to back up mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the space or you look for the safe exits or you look for a friendly face you know what i mean mm-hmm. like The two of you by yourself sometimes is not enough. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you need a community around you to uphold you, Mm -hmm. to tell you that, like, look, your love is good. Your love is okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, feel free to do that. And that wasn't the case for us. It came from everywhere, not just my family, by the way, or his, Mm -hmm. which was hard enough, Um, but from strangers. You know, it came from white women, it came from black men, (laughs) it came from, You know, even black women who were like, girl, you better get your swirl on. You know what I mean? Like, it came from them too. That's pressure too. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody feels like they can have an opinion on your relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, even when you don't ask for it, like as if you needed their approval to do what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Good or bad is what I mean. So, yes, of course, like, you know, the the times when like black women would see me and they'd be like, girl, tell me about that swirl. It was funny. But at the same time, it still put a spotlight on us, Mm -hmm. you know? So even, even in praise, it can be harsh. Mm -hmm. Even in like celebration, Mm -hmm. you can feel like, ah, but do you have to look at me? Mm -hmm. You know, like, just let me be in peace. And that's what was difficult.
0: What is the white woman response. I loved how you mm. wrote about that in the book and what is beneath sure. it. Because it's not just that people are interested in you. It's that what you're doing is threatening something in me.
2: Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Which was always very curious to me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us also ask that question. So like, why is it that what I'm doing bothers you so mm-hmm. much? Yeah. Oh, what's it got to do with you? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, white women were particularly interesting. Because they were less vocal, but meaner. Mm. But I have found that to be the truth for me in various places. Yeah. Not just in in this case, but in the corporate spaces, in lots of spaces. Um, That, you know, sometimes it's like, right, you you rather that somebody just yell in your face. You know, when black men saw us and would try to grab my arm or be like, sis, what you doing with him? You know, that was one kind of aggression. But white women who would scoff or would look at me up and down, or I could see them whispering amongst themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a different type of aggression, quieter, but meaner. Mm -hmm. Because I could tell their disapproval in a way that I felt was more dangerous Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure what they they were going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like that response and all those types of responses had to navigate carefully. Just weren't sure when it was going to be a safe space or a safe environment for us to be exactly who we were. And so we found ourselves very quickly um, adapting to certain environments, right? Behaving differently. Mm -hmm. And that was not a conscious change. And perhaps, again, maybe that's a universal thing where you find that, you know, in some spaces you behave one way as a couple and in other spaces you behave a different way as a couple. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's all with the intention of like, yeah, sometimes just being safe. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. And you were together in that. But one of the things I can't stop thinking about is that you were also alone in that. Because Mm. as the Black woman in the relationship, Mm -hmm. you had always had to be on the lookout for all of those microaggressions. Whereas, so you would notice them and Peter wouldn't even notice them. Right? Did that make
2: you feel alone? Yes. Yes, it made me feel so angry. I was pissed off mm-hmm. because I think part of it also was that um, it was almost like he could do no no right in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I called it out and he tried to dismiss it, like oh, that's no big deal. You know, there was this one time. I Remember, we were like in a fancy shop. I don't remember what designer it was, but you know, we we're shopping and he was so excited. He was like pulling things mm-hmm. for me and like, oh, we should try this on. It's gonna look great for you. And I saw a bunch of white girls over there. Like just snickering and like, you know, I I just knew I was just like, oh man, I don't even want to go into the dressing room because he's gonna make me come out. Mm -hmm. And then they're still gonna be standing there and judging me with their eyes. And I just don't want, I just don't want the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I told him about it later, like I got pissed off in the moment and we left and we didn't buy anything. And um later on he was just like, Why are you so mad? You know, and I'm like, Well, because of those white girls, you know? And he's like, Oh, who cares? Like, who cares about them? I'm like, what do you mean who cares? I care. You know, and it's like, I wanted a partner who would be as outraged as me. Mm-hmm. Or if it went the other way where, you know, it's like, hey, I, this thing is happening over here. And then if he wants to overreact, right. Or the time of a, a black man, try to pull me from him, physically pull me from him. You know, and I, I knew that, well, we were about to, we were all of us about to be in a fight, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, then I'm playing peacekeeper you know, and I'm trying to be like, hey, simmer down, calm down, calm down, man. Bring all that manly testosterone, bring it down, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of times I felt very alone. There was a, a time when we went to Ghana together,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it was his first time there. And I was really excited for him to come because, of course, you know, Ghana is so important to me. It's where my parents are from, it's where my family's from, it's the basis of everything mm-hmm. in my life. And we had talked about it so much. So his first visit, he was thrilled, right? And the running joke was that like every morning we would wake up and Peter would be gone. Nobody could find him. He'd just be out in the street. Yeah. You know? And then later on we go find him and he had made friends. He's over here holding people's hands, you know, and he just, he was just adventurous, but it pissed me off because there was just no win. because I was just mm-hmm. like, how is it possible that you are able to be anywhere on this planet mm-hmm. and have the freedom to do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't feel safe at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I can't walk around at home by myself, go make some friends with random strangers. Yet yeah, you are in a foreign land. You don't speak the language. You don't eat the food. You can't even pronounce the people's names right. Mm-hmm. Yet yeah, here you are all alone by yourself having a good ass time, you know? So we came back and friends were like, how was Ghana? You know, and he's like, oh, it's fantastic. It was amazing. I had a fantastic time. And I'm sitting there like, this motherfucker, year. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how are you allowed to have such a good time? Such a good time, you know? But at the same time, can you imagine if he came back and he was just like, oh, it was terrible, it stank. I hated all the people, I hated the food. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: but you probably were hoping that you would have a moment of understanding because he would yeah. go and be uncomfortable there and then yes. he would understand how you yes. felt. But instead, you said, I should have been ecstatic that Peter was embracing Ghana. Instead, I was pissed at his white man's
1: arrogance. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Well, you I wrote, wrote it. it. You wrote it. That was you. you that was your quote from you. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is it like, that's
2: exactly it. That's mm-hmm. how I felt. I wanted him to understand yeah. what it was like for me mm-hmm. to be in the world. And I thought if I put him in a world that is not his, he will finally understand what it's like for me to be in his. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Instead, he was king there too. Yes. How is that possible? And yet, here I am, scared everywhere. There was no understanding between us of the cultures, and it was a fracture.
0: Your description of that is mind blowing and world changing, by the way, in the yeah. book. So, you're in this cocoon, and there's all this shit on the outside, but it wasn't just out of the cocoon, it was in the cocoon. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Tell
0: us about when you went out to dinner with Leander and Ray.
2: Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. So by the way, Leander and Ray both have, have read the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, They read an early draft of it and um, Leander remembered it. Ray didn't. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Which is also so, so interesting to me as a writer of a memoir that um, our memories, you know, some, some memories are just so sharp, right? They, Mm -hmm. they create, sometimes they create trauma in a way that somebody who's in the exact same place just doesn't even, like, affect them at all. It's amazing. It's incredible, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's also why sometimes I feel like, even in our own lives, like, we have to have more grace, you know, in, Mm -hmm. like, our experiences. Because, yes, two people can be in the same experience at the same time, and it can affect one and not affect the other one. Mm -hmm. In that moment, when Ray was telling me that he couldn't remember that time, I was just like, wow, isn't that so, so... Fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. in any case, we, yes, we were celebrating Leander's birthday and we had gone to a casino in Connecticut and it was the four of us celebrating. So Ray and Leander are Black. Uh, Leander's one of my best friends we met in college. Ray went to college with us as well. So I've known them forever. Right. Um, But the four of us were great friends together, you know, two couples having a great time. And we'd gone to this casino. We went to the restaurant to like have a great dinner together. And the uh, hostess at the front was, you know, she was like one of those who was just like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see you as soon as something opens up. Meanwhile, there's like three tables open that we can see. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? mm-hmm. And then we're standing there for like 15 minutes and it's like, uh, can we sit? What's happening? And like almost immediately, I think the three of us, Ray Leander and myself, knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Peter, on the other hand, was just like, oh, man, I can see a table over there. You know, and we're like, "Man, do you not see, you know, what I said, you know, so eventually, of course, that scene blew up. You know, we knew it was some racist shit happening and we sit down. It, of course, then dawned on Peter what was going on. And he felt so terribly in that moment, which. I think in hindsight, I understand how he felt so terrible, right? He was identifying with this white person who was treating his black wife and his black friends terribly and he felt responsible mm-hmm. right he wanted to right to the wrong meanwhile i'm thinking in my head you're not one of them you're one of us mm-hmm. you're with us so when they treat me badly they treat you badly mm-hmm. but in that moment i realized that he wasn't one of us
3: mm-hmm.
2: he didn't see it that way he, he saw himself as part of them mm-hmm. and that for me was another chasm that started opening in our differences because I realized that he would never be part of us Mm. if something was to wrong me he would not feel it you know he would never feel it Mm. he would always take the side of somebody else to try and right the wrong that they did Mm. because he felt responsible in their care and not pained with my experience
0: He's identifying with that person, which is why he's trying to yeah. fix it. Because if he yes. was identified with you, he wouldn't be trying to fix it. He would be in yeah. pain or rage, rage or w- yeah. with yes. you.
2: Correct, correct,
0: correct. Uh,
2: I've thought this a million times. I wrote about it in the book as well. This like our current climate, you know, and um, everything that's been happening, like with George Floyd. I think the day after George Floyd was murdered, I was on one of these big panels, the Zoom. Panel, I think it was Ad Week or something big, right? And it was a bunch of CMOs, and it was like the top 20 CMOs. Oh, we supposed to do this. And the topic was to like share the thoughts of like how um, we as an industry should behave and how to best market to um, consumers in this changing climate. And I'm sitting there like, I can't think of anything else but George Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think I was one of two Black people amongst the the 20 or 25. And it got to my turn to give my insights. And I just, I literally could not say the words that I had written only a week before. You know, mm. by the way, they were brilliant insights. Um, sh- I, I know <laughs> they were. I know they were. Thank you very much. <laughs> but all I could think of was like, I want you to be enraged. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's all I said. I said, I have three points be enraged, be enraged, be enraged. That's it. Mm. You know, and if you don't feel that rage that I feel, then I don't understand why I am here. Mm. It is that feeling, a part of that feeling that was back then too with him. Mm. You know, I was just like, why don't you feel the rage? Like, why don't you feel the shame? Why don't you feel the hurt? You know, you're identifying with them and feeling sorry for me. Mm. That's not the feeling I want. Mm. You know, if you're going to be in this fight with me, if you're truly going to be authentic in this, you know, in our relationship, or even like, let's bring it into the present. If you are an ally of some sort and you want to be in this with me, you have to feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what pissed me off. Like I was just like, man, like this man over here feeling sorry for us. Yeah. You know, instead of feeling mad. And that was shocking to me.
1: Wow. hmm I'm just going to like let that settle in Mm. because that was really important for me to hear. Thank you.
3: Mm.
4: Quick math. The less your business spends on operations in multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth.
0: Head to netsuite.com slash hard things, netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things.
1: So a few years in your marriage, (laughs) you became pregnant with Eve. And Mm. I want to ask, what do you want to say about that time, about loving Eve and losing her?
2: Yeah. Oh, man what a lesson, you know? Um, Peter really wanted kids. He wanted kids immediately. I was the one who was just like, look, I'm young and beautiful. I don't want to mess this up. (laughs) And so I resisted for like five years, you know, in our marriage, which maybe doesn't seem like a long time, but like, you know, when you're in a marriage and somebody wants a kid, five years is a long yes. time, you know, where I'm just like, let's go on vacation, you know? <laughs> where, like, But like, well, what about this fall? And I'm like, oh, that's fashion week. I don't think I want, you know what I mean? I gotta be cute. Like I need outfits, you know? And I was like, you know, I was real religious with my birth control and the whole thing. So when I was late, I was literally like, am I sick? Is there an illness? Because <laughs> like, there's no way I'm pregnant, right? Um, and I am honest and in my storytelling that like, look, I was not happy to be pregnant. Um, I cried. I cried for a long time. I cried for days. I don't think I even told my mom for like a week after I knew I was pregnant, you know? Um, But Peter was elated. He was so excited. And I think for me, it was the realization there were so many things happening at the time. All of these different experiences I've been talking about, you know, with like our cultural differences and some other differences we're having was making me question whether or not this was actually the partnership and the relationship I wanted. Mm-hmm. I loved him very much, but I wasn't sure that like, our relationship was actually gonna last forever.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I was scared of that. I hadn't voiced it at all to anybody. And then I got pregnant and I was like, oh shit, now I'm trapped.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now I'm stuck here. And so those were the thoughts that were going through my mind. Um, but by the time it was unavoidable for me to tell people, you know, because I was hiding for a long time. That first trimester, I wasn't telling a soul. I told maybe my close friends and like, you know, my sisters, but like, that was it. And so then it was obvious in the second trimester and I had to tell my colleagues. And so, you know, it was like a slow build for me in terms of like coming to terms with the fact that I was going to become a mother. And every appointment that we had, you know, to hear the baby's heartbeat or to do the checkup was another one where I was like, okay, all right, I'm getting closer and closer. You know, I'm starting to understand this. And by the way, can I pause and say that I, I wish that women who decide to become mothers or who are pregnant or, you know, who go through that experience um, or any partner, I guess, anybody who becomes a parent, that's probably a better way to put it. I wish we would talk about that more. Mm-hmm. Be more honest about that because it's not always rainbows and the sunshine when you figure out that you're pregnant, even if you're in a quote unquote Traditional situation where you should feel happy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what does that even mean? You know, it's like, look, you as an individual, like, sometimes you have to uh, acclimate to a situation, you know, (laughs) that you're in. (laughs) And we don't talk about the misery of that Mm -hmm. or like, what happens? And I, for one, I think everybody on the outside would have been like, you're in a five year marriage, you got a great husband, you got a great job, you live in Manhattan, you can afford like whatever you want. Why wouldn't you be happy to be pregnant? There's nothing wrong with you. But I didn't want to be, mm-hmm. you know? but I felt trapped and I felt like I had to be. Mm. So every appointment did get me closer and closer to feeling like I could do it. And the turning point for me, and this is, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the years, but the turning point for me was when we went to an appointment, I was, I was almost six months pregnant where they checked the amniotic fluid. And our, our obstetrician said that, you know, the food was a little low and that our baby wasn't the size that it was supposed to be, like just a little smaller, but it wasn't cause for concern. And when I heard that, I became protective.
3: Mm.
2: You know, it was a turning point for me where I was just like, oh, wait, hold on now. Hold on. Okay. Now, this is not just like some foreign object that I'm like fighting against. Mm. Oh, no, now not my body might be betraying us yeah
0: and it's like i can
2: talk shit about my family but don't you talk shit about my family (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) right like i could be pissed off but don't you dare mess this up you know what i mean if anybody's gonna mess it up it's gonna be you know what i mean (laughs) it was just a turning point where i was like oh wait hold on oh okay no 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 let me figure this out you know and by the time my illness was diagnosed. I had severe preeclampsia, early onset preeclampsia, and had to be rushed into the delivery room. I had to be given the pocosin and all the um, drugs to induce labor. And oh, it's like that. That was me and her, Eve, fighting against what was happening to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I felt like it bonded us in that way. Whereas Peter, on the other hand, we had switched roles, you know, because unbeknownst to me at the time, the doctor had told him that he had to choose one. (gasps) Mm
3: -hmm,
2: He had to choose one. Mm -hmm. He was either going to lose me or he's going to lose Eve. And which one was it going to be? And I now can understand the impossible situation that he was in. By the time, all I knew was the decision, and I was livid. Yeah, that's right. You know, not just mad that he had chosen me over her, but that I didn't have a voice in the decision. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that he made it on his own and then informed me Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, what would I do now? You know, even as we have a lot of discussions these days about choice, you know, and it's like, what, what do you do in that situation? And if you have a choice, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Which one do you make? And of course, there was no guarantees that if he had chosen the baby, that she would live either. Mm -hmm. You know? So he chose his wife. And it was so devastating to me. Mm -hmm. I think in that moment, all I could think of was the fact that um, that I was maybe being punished
3: Mm -hmm.
2: by God. Mm -hmm. You know? That I was like, well... Maybe if I had better appreciated the tremendous gift of motherhood, of having a child, that I wouldn't be in the position to lose it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And maybe maybe somebody thinks that's irrational, but it was the only way that I could make sense of a situation that didn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me. I said, well, everybody has babies, right? I right? My my mom had four, my sister had a couple, my aunt had like nine, Mm -hmm. everybody has babies. Nobody ever talks about the challenge. Nobody ever talks about things that go wrong. I didn't even know about Mm preeclampsia, you know? And then all of a sudden here I was being forced to give birth when I didn't want to. So all I could think of was like, it's got to be God. It's got to be God Mm -hmm. who said, you don't deserve this. You didn't want this, right? And now I'm taking it. Mm that's all I could think. And so in that moment I prayed. I prayed and I begged. I did all of the things. I cried, I railed. Oh, I was holding myself. I could I can still feel it in my body. You know, her kicking and fighting and me trying to hold contractions. And eventually when she was born, uh you know, she didn't She only took a breath. Um, And all I could think about was the fact that God failed me.
3: Mm.
2: I thought I was asking for help. Isn't that what God wants us to do? Be vulnerable. Lay our burdens at the throne of God and ask for help. Ask for forgiveness. Then you'll be saved. Right? That's what what we're taught Mm -hmm. in Christianity anyway. And I thought I was a good Christian, but God, God didn't, God didn't listen to me. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, my relationship with God also changed.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, how do you feel differently about God now than you did then? Mm-hmm. And how does Lael work into all of that?
2: <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> You know, so here's the thing. God and I are really homies, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like, yeah, we're homies, we're homies. You know, we're homies in that, like, I can't be mad at God. I don't always have to like God. Mm. You know, and maybe that sounds blasphemous to some people, but, you know, like, I feel like that's the homie. Sometimes you're mad at your friends. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you don't love them, but you get mad at them. And you don't want to speak to them for a while. And sometimes that's how I feel, mm-hmm. you know? And even at that point, I was so angry. I was angry at everything. I was angry at God. I was angry at my obstetrician. I was angry at Peter. I was angry at my body. I was, I was angry at everybody. And the only way that I felt like I could rectify any of it, because, you know, I wanted to take things into my own hands and like control everything, <laughs> was to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. I was like, ha, that is the solution. And again, everybody said no. My mm-hmm. obstetrician was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Peter was like, oh, absolutely not. I was like, well, you better lay down, brother. We we got to get pregnant. Okay. That's what that's what, what we're gonna do. Okay, because I'm ovulating and that's what was happening. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um and even, you know, my mom, like everybody was just like, don't you think you should take some time? Like, da-da-da. And I was like, no, 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 I'm gonna get pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. And so three months after Eve died, I was pregnant with Layelle. And almost as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, again, I was like, oh shit, no, 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 no. I don't want want to do it. I don't want to do it right now. I don't, no, I was kidding. You know what I mean? Because it was so scary. I was like, oh my gosh, now I got to live nine months with this thing? What if something happens? You know, what if I get sick? I'm like, oh no. What if I lose this one? Mm -hmm. You know, and so the fear of that was as intense as the grieving loss of Eve. And those two things living inside of me and then also living within Peter created an impossible situation Mm -hmm. in our home. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: We're supposed to be in this thing together, you know, protecting each other, helping each other, grieving together, celebrating together, right? Um, We found ourselves in opposite corners Mm -hmm. because here I was like feeling like my body betrayed us. My body betrayed Eve. It was my fault, and then I was like, "Well, God, you have something to do with this too." So you make sure that this baby lives, mm-hmm. you know. But then at seven months pregnant with Layel, here I go again, mm-hmm. more pregnancy. And um, at that point, I was like, "Hey, look here, you. This is me to God. Just don't do this again. I promise you, that you don't do this to me. I will not survive this." And I made God a deal. I said, if he gave me this baby, I would name her for him. And that everywhere I went, I would tell, I would tell people that God is the reason that she lived. Mm-hmm. And so when she was born, we named her Elf, or La or Lael in Hebrew, meaning belonging to God.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for me, it was my contract. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, okay. I will do this if you give her to me, Mm. if you protect her in the world. And honestly, it has been somewhat freeing also, you know, of the fear of her life. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think as parents, you're always worried, right, about your kid. Like, they're outside. You're like, oh, my God, they're safe. Yo. That's God's kid mm. that's walking around outside. Mm. Okay, I dare you to mess with her. Like that—that's not even mine. That's God's kid outside. <laughs> so okay, N- named after God. That's God Junior. Okay, so <laughs> that's you, God you- Junior god junior that's that's who's walking around okay <laughs> you want to mess around with her that's that's on you that's between you and i don't know i'm out of it that's and then me. when she gets in trouble at
0: school you can be like god that is your child who yeah. did that at school that's today. correct mm-hmm. and, and yes
2: when she does something i'm like lord what you gonna do because this <laughs> one right here what's <laughs> you going on she uh-huh. grounded i don't know what you want me to do <laughs> You know, like oh so yeah, friend, that's so friend, uh-huh. so friend.
0: Pod Squad. some of what we share with you on the show are our individual unique experiences in therapy and the takeaways that help us grow, appreciate each other, and navigate this beautiful life we're doing together. Thank you for doing it with us. But the things we talk about in therapy itself, these are things we wouldn't necessarily share with just anyone. I think there are a few things more important than finding the right person to share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and questions with like a therapist. That's why we are thrilled about Alma's support of our show. They're big believers that you need the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. Alma helps you to find a therapist who gets you based on your needs, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable, heard, secure. Plus, and this shouldn't be overlooked, over 96% of therapists at Alma accept insurance because you want to pick someone based on the right fit, not just based on finances. You can browse their directory now. You don't even need to create an account. Visit helloalma.com slash hard things to schedule a free consultation today. That's hello dot com, slash hard things.
1: So after so much beauty and love and pain and loss, you decided it was time to separate. From Peter. From Peter. Yeah. How did you know it was time? And how did you mm. know that separating was the right kind of hard?
0: I mean, both this is the question we get so much from yeah. people. From how yeah. do you know? Because it's hard to stay. It's hard to leave. I how know. do you know which one is the right?
2: Yeah. I babbled it for so long. It was not like, overnight Ross was like you know I'm out of here you know I thought about it for a long time like I was just over a year old um when I told him that I wanted to separate and it was terrible
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know it was awful um and gosh I don't even know how to describe it because even in that conversation, there was a point of clarity for me that I was just like, oh, yeah, no, this is the right thing to do, mm. you know, because our understandings of what we wanted in marriage it, were so different. And there were so many things that I still didn't know about him. You know what I
3: mean?
2: Mm. We were in the conversation about separating and he was basically saying, but why do we have to? There's so many married couples who are miserable. Let's <laughs> stay together. <laughs> I remember that. Part. <laughs> and I literally was just like, who am I talking to? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? I don't want to be miserable. I don't, and you can you can say that it's a fantasy to be in a relationship where you're happy all the time. I know that's not realistic, but I also don't want to feel like this mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. you know, and so for me that was the that was the breaking point uh, there was actually one day I was looking at Leelle and thinking like, she will never know me as the happy person. she'll never know me as the person who's like, you know carefree and loose and playful because that's not what I was in our relationship at that point I'd become more closed mm-hmm. angry I was resentful mm-hmm. holding on to things you know and look I'm not going to just blame him for it it was me it was me also I couldn't let go of certain things in our relationship and there were chasms that I also let spread mm-hmm. And so by that point, I was just like, man, for her and for me, I got to get out Yeah, because I want her to know me as like the effervescent, bubbly, fun person Mm -hmm. that her dad fell in love with. Mm -hmm. She would never know me as that if I stayed. And so in that conversation, (sighs) I, I knew that it was time to go. It was difficult. And the thing is that I, I also wanted to At the same time, I wanted to protect his heart, so I didn't say I wanted a divorce, even though that's I knew I wanted. Mm. I wanted him to come to that realization, which was so stupid of me. Because, (laughs) like, I mean, seriously, like, again, why do we think that we can control other people? I don't know.
0: You're just going to set him up to have it be his own idea. Can you Um, imagine?
2: Exactly. I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll make it his idea. Like, how? How are you going to do that? I should have just said it, but I didn't. You know, mm -hmm. I just said, "Oh, let's just. I think we should separate for a while and figure things out and see." You know, but all that did was drag this thing out for a Mm -hmm. long time, you know, and then there were other challenging issues that come as a result of that. Even though we became great co-parents, you know, I ended up moving, we were living in um, Edgewater at the time and I ended up moving back into Manhattan and he stayed in Edgewater. Dale's daycare was in Edgewater. So I would go and drop her off and then go to work and then we figured out, you know, so Mm -hmm. we ended up figuring out how to, how to do life as a separated couple, it almost felt like we were still married, just living in two places.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe some sort of like, you know, romantic 1950s movie or something like that. Yeah, it's like kind that. of a dream.
0: <laughs> 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 You're onto something, Phyllis. Hey, um, I'm sitting right here. Oh, no, 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 babe, not you. I'm thinking of other marriages.
3: Like, yes, yeah, other, marriages, other marriages. Other marriages, for exactly. sure. yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But, you know, that was not going to work. I mean, obviously, right. it's like, you know, when when, you know, I wanted to, see other people here i was hiding and sneaking around like i was cheating on him mm-hmm. that's not healthy either yeah. and there were several times when we had to confront that and it was it was not a great situation but yes yeah, like i i knew i had to go because i needed to be the best version of myself mm-hmm. and i was not the best version of myself in that marriage at that time hmm. mm-hmm. so then
0: what people listening to this might not know which they will when they read the urgent life is that there is a moment where peter is diagnosed. And when it became clear that things were bad.
2: Yeah. Well, he was diagnosed in May of 2013. It was just before Lael's fourth birthday. And at that point, yeah, we were separated. Um, he was seeing somebody that I was actually very happy that he was seeing because <laughs> I was like, good, you have a girlfriend. You can leave me the hell alone. You know what I mean? Um, and I felt like, oh, we're getting, you know, we're getting We're getting there. I liked her we were sister wives. This is going to be perfect because he's going to come to the realization that we need to get divorced <laughs> so he can go out with her into the sunset. I mean, this is wonderful. Work is going great. I did a major deal with um, Pepsi and the NFL for Super Bowl halftime show. Beyonce had been on the halftime show stage. Like, things were golden. Everything mm-hmm. was great. And then Peter has this lump on his neck. You know, and we were, again, like we were in, in enough of a partnership that I could go over to his house and see that thing and be like, what the hell is that? You know? And when we found out that it was cancer, um, we didn't panic if that sounds, it might sound strange. We didn't panic because both of our mothers had had cancer. My mother was in her second bout at the time when we mm-hmm. found out that Peter was sick. So she was getting treatment. She was like chemo and radiation and the whole thing. Um, she had had surgery. So we just thought like, okay, there's gotta be a plan, right? Like, get the doctor, you know, figure out what, what the surgery and the plan was. Um, But a few months into the treatment and his oncologist just said there was going to be no, no, no solution, that the treatment wasn't going to work, that nothing was helping and that he, it was going to be terminal. And it was such a, I don't even know how to describe what that moment was like. Because I was sitting at the office when his mother called me from the hospital, and you know when somebody calls you and they have something terrible to say but they won't tell you. Yes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I hate that. And I was like, I hate that. Mm-hmm. But again, I think of it, I'm just like, well, what? What else should she have done? Right. right. She needs you know. Mm-hmm. Like, to be what in what else she? Have? She probably couldn't say the words herself mm-hmm. either. But she told me to come to the hospital. I'm came down from Purchase, New York, to Manhattan, Mario Sloan Kettering, and Peter was in there, and um, as soon as I walked in, I knew. I just knew it. I knew it. And all I could think of was like, gosh, it's like the years ahead of us that we wouldn't have, the loss not just to us as a family, but to Leal, what he wouldn't be able to do with her, such a great dad, you know, that they would be so robbed of that. In my book, I talk about my relationship with my father, which is, you know, complicated. (laughs) It's
0: beautiful. It's um, beautiful too. Yes.
2: Yes. Very protective, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but I love that guy. Mm -hmm. He's been such a rock in my life in many different ways. And I could think about the fact that Lael would never have that, Mm -hmm. you know, that that would be taken from her stolen from her and as i sat there it was i also thought about the time we had wasted you know in anger in misunderstanding and how terrible it would be to not confront any of those things mm-hmm. or resolve them
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so in his list of things that he wanted to do, not even a bucket list, really, because it was more like a to do list. <laughs> right. Right. One of them was to cancel the divorce, because at that point we had begun the process. We had our lawyers. We'd come to that realization, but he wanted to cancel it. And it was maybe an easier yes, than even the first time when he asked me uh, out, oh.
3: you know, it was an easier
2: yes. I think because of all the things that I've said, it's like that realization that like if you're faced in that moment where you don't have the choice anymore, this is going to end. What, what do you decide to do? And maybe I should have asked myself that question when I decided to separate. Maybe that's the question I should have asked myself. know, mm. but I didn't. And I wish I had.
3: Mm.
4: There's a lot of subscription-based stuff nowadays, which is great. You might get one as a gift. You might really want to try something during a trial period. You might even make the occasional impulse buy. But what happens when you forget you signed up for this platform or need to cancel after the trial period on the platform? For me, I can never even find where I signed up to begin with. It gets overwhelming, but Rocket Money is here to help. cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash hard things. That's rocketmoney.com slash hard things. rocketmoney.com slash hard things.
0: You should know that when I, when we were planning this interview, I tried it all through the lens of you and your dad first. Mm -hmm. You could do this interview 50 different ways because the book has so many love (laughs) stories in it. But some next time I see you, we're talking about you and your dad.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: (laughs)
0: So much there. So much there.
2: So much, so much.
0: And just the, the way that through your family of origin or your relationship with Peter and Eve and Lael, your commitment to showing up for the people that you love, relentless. In the hardest, most relentless. Mm. There's a moment, and unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I do want you to talk about this because it made mm. me think about the beginning of the story, of your love story, when you begged Peter to write letters to Leo. Oh, God. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. And that Mm. made me think of earlier when like you're noticing the hard things and he's not. And is there something Mm. about being the arrogant, entitled white man, right? (laughs) Is there really like, is there something about, yes, there is a a privilege of walking around like that, but Mm. are you, because of that sort of pampering, not able to do the grittiest, most important things, which is Mm. real, true love,
2: which is mm. what you do and you did throughout your life. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Gosh, there I mean, there, there is, there is something in it, you know, which is that um, I think as a black woman in this experience of life, I do always by society standards and probably ingrained into my own because of that serve other people first because mm-hmm. I've served last always. Mm. And so in every situation, I find myself serving others first. And so in the opposite way, Peter has always been served. He's always been the one who has received, you know? And so to ask him to do something like that, which, yes, I, I understood in that moment, I understand now, must have been feeling like the impossible thing to do. Mm-hmm. How do you write into the future when you know you won't be there?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, how do you write to her on her 16th birthday? How do you write to her in her first date? How do you write to her for her wedding day? How do you write for her maybe when she has her first child? How do you write for her when she graduates from high school? How do you write for her when she has a heartbreak? How do you write these things knowing that you're not around? I can understand how that'd be painful, but it is the sacrifice. You know, it is being in a position where you are serving someone ahead of yourself. And to me, that was so painful because I thought, gosh, even in like the last bits of life, like show this immense love. You know, I, I knew that he had it. It was like, it's in there. I have felt it in so many different ways. He's been thoughtful in so many different ways. And I was angry at him for that. And truthfully, in some ways, I still haven't forgiven him for that. Because there are moments now where I wish I had a letter. I wish I had something to give her, Mm -hmm. you know, to be like your dad thought of you at this moment. He wanted you to have something of his, his words. Mm -hmm. Because there are things that are happening now, which when he died, I would look at her and think, gosh, she doesn't even know the magnitude of what she's lost. She's no idea. And it will come to her slowly over time. Like the things that will happen that she will then say, oh, man, I wish I had my dad. You know, there was um, a moment uh, about, gosh, maybe four or five months ago. She's at a girl school here in L.A. and she, you know, has made some new friends and they'd gone out on um, like they got to like Six Flags or one of those parks and her friend's dad had taken them. And they were standing in line waiting for the ride. And the friend's dad said that he, you know, or somewhere in the conversation came out that he's from Boston or grew up in Boston. And so Layal was just like, Oh, my, my dad, you know, it's like, he's from Worcester, uh, but he lived in Boston for a while. And I think she was trying to find the connection. Mm -hmm. Right. And he said to Layal, you know, it's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're in Boston. And so she was looking at him like, Hmm. I don't know
3: mm.
2: you know like is that moment where she was just like oh i don't know i don't know and i don't think he meant to be insensitive but he said well h- how do you not know where your dad is from or where he lived you know so she came home she was heartbroken um and we're talking about it and talking through it and she said you know i don't remember his voice
3: mm.
2: and I, I i like just everything like i was just like oh my god so here i go like i'm looking through videos i'm trying to find something you know and in that moment i was so pissed because i was just like why don't i have a letter why don't i have something Mm -hmm. to give her from him so so that she knows that he loved her he cared about her he like that's all he thought about and so even today i struggle with that to try and forgive him in the moment where he was reaching the end and I'm sure all of the things that he was also contending with and that he couldn't do that bit. I still have to forgive him for that.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I insist pod squad <laughs> that you get this book, the urgent life, the way that you live and love and celebrate. It's like Bose's proof to me that when you stay with, the hard truth, you get the sparkly stuff too in like equal measures mm. because you, no one has seen a woman celebrate like this woman celebrates. It's like, right. We need to do a whole <laughs> interview on that at some point, please. Just what okay. in the holy hell, just go follow yeah. her on Instagram and you'll see. Any birthday
2: Bo's has. Oh, and happy
0: late birthday, by the wow. way.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. Impressive. Yes. Celebrate.
0: Thank you for the offering of this book. Thank you for teaching us how to love and live. Mm.
2: Relentlessly and Relentlessly
0: and urgently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're beautiful Thank you
2: so much. Thank you so much. I, I am so appreciative of this time to be able to talk to you about this, to be able to connect in this way, because I just feel that like as in our human experience, it's not just like you have to experience the same thing I experienced in order to feel the things, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like when we talk about relationships and how it feels to be in it, uh, we all have our things. There's always like that piece where it's like, oh yes, I felt that before, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Or like you don't have to have lost your spouse to cancer to understand what it feels like to be mad at somebody, mm-hmm. right? And then something happens to them and then still be angry yeah. at that. That's mm-hmm. right. You know, it's like I'm not bringing Mother Teresa out here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm still pissed off. Mm-hmm. And there's some times when I have to sit there and be like, girl, you gotta let that go. And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, let mm-hmm. me go. I'm yeah. not I'm not I'm so mad. And knowing that I have to Figure out how to continue to live my life and be celebratory of him with my child and make sure that she understands that he was human and not just like this big saint that everyone is wrapped in like rose colored glasses, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's also what happens in death. But all of us have experienced something in that vein where we are trying to reconcile our feelings over something we lost or someone we lost. And so I'm really appreciative of the opportunity, not just to write this, but to talk to you about it. Mm. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Pod Squad, we will see you back next time, but there's no way the next episode will be better than this one. So there, you've <laughs> <all> it. <right. laughs>
1: Bye.
2: <laughs> Damn, bros. Oh, I love you guys. I love you.
0: If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us. If you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do each or all of these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode. And it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts spotify odyssey or wherever you listen to podcasts and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right hand corner or click on follow this is the most important thing for the pod while you're there if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend we would be so grateful we appreciate you very much we can do hard things is produced in partnership with cadence 13 studios